Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answering some of your questions. This week we're talking about sabotage, the micro and macro ways that we get in our own way, how online spaces can cultivate a negative mindset, and learning to analyse our own behaviour. So joining me this week is Emma Gannon. Emma is a best-selling author, speaker, teacher and podcaster. She started her podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, in 2016 and has since had over 10 million downloads. She's so far published five books, including her debut novel, Olive, released in 2020, as well as The Multi-Hyphen Method, discussing modern careers, Disconnected, about our relationships with online media, and crucially for today, Sabotage, a book about overcoming the barriers we put up in the way of our own happiness. Your life is like almost like a crime scene and you need to almost find the root of the crime. Like, where did it happen? <laughs> what happened? And and like, how do we go about solving it? We're here to talk about sabotage today, which not only, you know, is a thing that we do in our lives, it's also the title of a book <laughs> that you published. So the full title sabotage how to silence your inner critic and get out of your own way how did you come to writing a book on this topic because I mean as someone who's you know even just followed you online for a number of years I look at you and I think Emma she's a very you know confident successful person I wouldn't have looked at you and thought you were someone who sabotaged yourself but yeah how did you come to writing the book that is what a lot of people have been saying to me actually is, is and I guess in my 20s because I wrote Sabotage in 2019 so I was 29 and I was really coming to the end of my 20s where I think like a lot of people in that decade you are quite focused on the outward projection of life like mm. I was not performing but I was showing the shiny bits big time in my career especially yeah. And I'm good at that. Like I've worked in social media marketing for like my whole life. Like I know how to make things like look good, sound good, post a good picture, write a good caption. I would do that for brands and then I was sort of doing it for myself. And it was weird because I went into my 30s realizing that actually I just really wanted to write more personally. And Sabotage, the book, was the first time I opened up, I think. And people were like, oh, wow, you're being really honest in this book. But I just felt really ready to. And what was interesting about the topic of sabotage is, you know, I'm not a psychotherapist. I don't have qualifications in terms of dealing with people's mental health and trauma and all that stuff. But what mm. I do have, I think, is an ability, hopefully, to write about my own personal experiences and also interview people. And the sort of journalist in me can hopefully tie together this theme and make it accessible for people who are struggling so in the book, you know, it is experts telling me what to do. I'm like the guinea pig. 
because I, I did self-sabotage. I would, I, I really couldn't enjoy any of the success I had made for myself. I was trying to mess it up because I wasn't comfortable having it. What did that look like for you in terms of, so when you look back and you think, oh, I was sabotaging myself at that time, was it sort of turning things down or just kind of talking to yourself negatively? What was, what was that like? Yeah, it was a combination of a few of those. The big one was talking myself out of exciting opportunities, just being Mm. like, oh no, I don't want to do that. When really I was just scared. That was a huge one. So I suppose that was like imposter syndrome stuff. But the other one was, it wasn't like a huge deal because I could very much put a mask over it, but I would sort of like turn up to meetings like slightly groggy and hungover. And and it's like a difficult one to talk about because now it has a terminology, it's called like grey area drinking, when like, you're probably just having like a couple of glasses of wine, no one would be like, mm. oh, that's a problem for you. In fact, everyone around me was like, that's really not a problem, you're fine. But I was like, no, I, I am sabotaging myself here, because I'm numbing out feelings, good and bad. And I'm just not, I'm just not showing up as like the fullest version of me. And for me, that's what self-sabotage means. It's like, you're just sort of like, dimming your light a little bit every day and you're just kind of being smaller than you perhaps could be in the world and also you know I talk about this in the book we might get onto it but self-sabotage also isn't about turning it into like a punishment of like I'm a terrible person I do this I mess up Mm. it's more like ooh, look at the behaviors you're doing and what could you do to maybe make your life easier that kind of makes me think about the sort of do you think there's been quite a mindfulness sort of element to it which I know is like a little bit of a buzzword now but you know the idea of being more aware of your own thoughts because I guess if other people were looking at your behavior from the outside and didn't you know see a problem did it take quite a lot for you to really sort of turn the gaze inwards and think well if nobody thinks that this behavior is a problem really having to look at your own sort of motivation for that behavior and be aware of your own yeah your own inner workings in order to see where it was actually going wrong yeah definitely and I think you know what I've realized now one of the most unhelpful things of friends and family to do is if you say this thing is troubling me or I think this is a problem for me the worst thing is someone going no it's not you're fine because you're invalidating someone's feelings and you know someone could be listening to this and be like "Mm, I think it's a problem that you know I don't like going out past midnight like that just makes Mm. me feel anxious and scared and I don't like it and someone going you don't need to change that that's fine and it's it's just these little things and really what that's what sabotage the book is about it's like it can be so minor but if it's Mm. if it's troubling you it's valid and it's important and you you are allowed to look at that and question that and also just question how you want to live your life in a society of normal kind of norms if you know what I mean yeah that's I mean that's interesting I think just in terms of like prioritizing your own feelings and the kind of like gut feelings it sounds like because I think I mean I can relate to yeah what you're saying where you feel like something might be a problem and other people and I think it's always quite well-meaning I think it's in the same vein of where you say something's a problem and either people will say, no, no, it's fine. It's not a problem. Or we'll be like, oh, I do that too. It's no big deal kind of thing, which then is kind of like, oh, well, am I making a big deal about nothing? And when you're kind of trying to improve things for yourself, 
it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's the same sort of thing around someone saying like, I feel sad or I feel depressed or I feel unhappy and someone's going, oh, but you're, you're, you're doing really well. You're fine. And it's like, you yeah. literally just want someone to be like, that sounds really shit. How can I help? Or just like, oh, right. And just literally just accepting what you're saying. Um, but it's interesting. So I wrote Sabotage quite a few years ago. It feels like mm. in my head because it came out. Um, I think it came out like a few months after the first lockdown, which honestly feels like so long ago to me now. And yeah, so I've really done does. so much more work in this area since I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. But it's still a little companion, I feel, to a lot of the stuff that I want to write about because it's there's so many like basic reminders in there. Yeah, I mean, I, reading the book. So I read... Uh, read sabotage on holiday earlier this year and have like re re kind of acquainted myself with it before we recorded today but there's one thing I thought was there are a lot of kind of practical tips in there so as, as you go through and kind of discuss your own journey with this topic it's really like punctuated with quite either practical or kind of thought exercises on how to stop doing this how did you kind of go about collating that information did you find it was really helpful to you while writing it to speak to all these different experts and things or is it you know then a mixture of things that you came up with or where where did all your tips come from that's a really good question I mean I interviewed quite a lot of people and then I kind of narrowed it down to what I thought would be helpful but I also over the years of writing about work and careers lots of the same questions kept coming up Mm. and even though this book is more lifestyle related when I wrote the multi-hyphen method and that was in 2017 all the questions I got from young women were like I'm a perfectionist I procrastinate I can't self-promote and I have a horrible inner critic Mm. and those are like the four things that kept coming up time and time again and so that's that's really the chapters in the book is like those four themes And so I'm, you know, for example, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm actually the opposite. I just like throw things out there and see what happens. Mm. But I really felt like that was something I wanted to tackle because other people were saying that. Um, But there are little anecdotes in there that I tried to make quite funny. Like there's one about how I haven't driven a car since I was 18 because my whole family would basically take the piss out of me. And like (laughs) it was literally the biggest family joke that like Emma, you know, can't drive and like, oh, I can't believe we're all still alive because we've been in the car with Emma. And it's like, I never got into any scraps. Mm. I actually was a fine driver, but I've, I haven't driven for literally 15 years because of a silly joke. Yeah. And so I'm trying to, you know, make light of that, but also I am trying to get back in a car soon. Um, but it's the power of people putting things onto you, these stories that people make of, of you yeah. from even back when you were a child. And God, we need to like shake them off somehow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's interesting that you say about those kind of four different areas and you go into that in the book where, you know, people had sent in the stories and you felt like it was quite easy to categorize. Could you tell us a little bit more about those four different kind of areas? Like what, how is this self-sabotage showing up in people's lives? What, what does that look like? Well, what's interesting about the four categories is even though they're all slightly different, they're all based in fear. So with procrastination, you know, we all know what that is when you have something you really need to do and you'll find any way to kind of, yeah, skirt around yeah. it, organize your sock drawer, call a friend, you know, do horrible admin. You don't want to do anything to not do this creative project you have wanted to do for years, maybe. And um, it's really, really difficult. But at, but really at the heart of that is like your 
you normally are quite scared to start so you'll make the excuses perfectionism is very similar to procrastination but it's kind of different because with perfectionism you are actually doing the thing Mm. but you could be doing it endlessly and not showing anyone ever because you're scared of anyone seeing it um inner critic is also fear-based because we just think who who am I to even try this thing um and then fear of self-promotion is similar. It's um, I'm scared what people will think of me. So they're all interlinked and they're all based in fear. And this is the thing about self-sabotage is um, it's actually quite a sweet thing that our brain does. It's like trying to protect us. It's like, that's scary. Don't do that. But we've got confused somewhere along the line that like publishing a book is the same level of fear as like being attacked by a bear. And it's not. Yeah, that's, I mean... I love all that kind of psychology stuff. Like I was reading something the other day about uh, what they call negativity bias, which is kind of that, you know, very human trait of always paying more attention to the kind of more negative things. And yeah, so, so you know, say we read a hundred nice comments and one negative one, we focus on the negatives. And it was talking about the possible sort of evolutionary basis there where back you know however long ago in our ancestors it was people who were very aware of the negative and aware of danger who were more likely to survive and therefore they have passed down all their their worrisome uh traits to us who now exist in in the real world so i mean i think we've had a conversation similar to that maybe on the podcast in the past where we talk about anxiety and how you know it's really while not very helpful at all it's kind of trying to keep us safe mm-hmm. yeah totally yeah and and it reminds me a little bit of um something in the book that's one of my favorite bits which is about the sunken cost fallacy mm. which is about how when you put so much into something it's really hard to quit because you don't you you're basically sabotaging yourself by like staying in it um so basically if you've had a job for like 20 years um the reason you don't quit is because you're like I've put 20 years into this yeah same with relationships Mm -hmm. and that again is a safety mechanism because your brain is like but you've put all the work in stay stay in the safe but actually we need to take risks yeah when actually it's not always always the best thing to do how have you found thinking about sabotage in a kind of micro macro kind of way because in my head it kind of reverts to two different sort of situations. One being, as you said, the kind of small day-to-day things, which is a little bit like we um, talked in the first episode of this uh, series was about self-care with Grace Victory. And we had a bit of a a chat Mm -hmm. about, you know, what are the small things that we keep doing, even though they make us feel terrible. And I feel like that's maybe examples of the like lower level sabotage. But there's also quite a lot of discussion then about how we sabotage ourselves when we're looking at bigger kind of like life goals and things like that, whether it's, you know, career goals or dreams that people are chasing. Do you think the sabotage in those different areas kind of comes from the same place? Does it look the same? How does it sort of manifest when it is these bigger goals and dreams and things that we're talking about? Yeah, it's really interesting question because they're basically the same things Mm. like when you change your life on the smallest most micro scale that is when you do achieve the huge dreams I believe and um 
I've done quite a lot of work recently with Lydia Johnson, who's a hypnotherapist. She's like from the London Clinic of Hypnotherapy. Okay. And she she really broke down to me because I've had quite a lot of hypnotherapy around the first 20 minutes of your day basically sets you up for the whole day. And I never really knew that because I wake up in quite a bad mood because I'm not a morning person. Same. And without realizing, I was just sabotaging my whole day in the first 20 minutes without even realizing that that's what I was doing. And by chance, I'd sometimes wake up in a good mood and then I, and I would have a really good day. And it was this amazing realization that, and it sounds cheesy and it sounds cliche and, you know, quite basic, but your thoughts really do have the power to change your whole day, which has the power to change your whole year, which has the power to change your whole mm. life. Like the minute I saw that I started sorting my mornings out and dealing with the thoughts that would then spiral into feelings and behavior, like my whole life has changed. Like friends from the past have got back in touch. Jobs that I've always wanted have come into my life and I've accepted them for the first time. Mm ideas come to me more easily like this is kind of wild because it's like if I told you it's because I've changed 20 minutes of my day how do all those things then come from that yeah I mean that also sounds like a magical life hack though if that is if it's if it's 20 minutes of change and it's not easy oh no well there you go (laughs) yeah I know and that's a small print isn't it because what I just said does sound easy but changing your thoughts daily takes a lot of work and um and actually I think a lot of that happened during the pandemic yeah and I'm I'm really noticing that even though it was awful and we obviously don't need to go into details about how that was like the worst thing for a lot of people it gave them some time to sort sort themselves out as well mm. mentally yeah I mean practically how what does that 20 minutes now look like is it a thing about you know recognizing your thoughts and deciding to sort of set the day up positively or is it physical habits that you had changed physical yeah so kind of back to what I was saying about like you know that even the night before is going to impact the morning so it's like you kind of have to go back a few steps so it's like am I having a good evening the night before like am I going to bed at a time when I want to not drinking um this out this all sounds very boring but you know I I really came to a time where I was like these things really matter to me right now in my life and so if I want to wake up and feel really fresh and like feel really motivated at this time in my career in my life there's things I have to change and it is that stuff it is like put your phone away for like half an hour before you get into bed um I don't check my phone in the mornings anymore I also was inspired by someone called Donna Lancaster I don't know if you've heard of her but she is incredible she's a coach and she has a book coming out soon actually but she talks a lot about the power of dancing and music okay and so she did this challenge where like you should dance every day even for like one song that has changed my mood create like a crazy amount so it's it's really tiny it's and like you know obviously going for the daily walk or or even going outside for 10 minutes to go to like the shop to get milk like leave the house Mm. um yeah, it's it's a lot of these tiny, tiny things, but they they really set me up, I think. I love that. I'm going to be thinking about dancing around the house at different points now, just to, just to see if it helps my day, you know? <laughs> so talking about, there's a few different things that you talk about in the book, and I feel like they obviously all link together very well, but talking about technology and social media and our phones and all of that kind of stuff that links together and might be sort of encouraging 
that negative sort of mindset about ourselves and about our achievements. Could you tell us a bit about that? So how do you think or how have you found in your research that this technology might be encouraging the sort of self-sabotaging behavior? Yes. Well, in Disconnected, the books I wrote after this, and there's kind of two small books come together, I really wanted to look at kind of the elephant in the room, which is we talk about social media and digital culture like it's kind of wildly separate, mm. like this thing that we analyse separately from everything else. But at the, at the same time, it's sort of, it's still a way to escape and it's still a way to numb out sometimes. Like the way that people scroll and I scroll when my eyes glaze over and I'm just, I'm completely out of my own head and into the phone and I'm watching other people's lives on repeat. It's quite similar to kind of drowning your sorrows in other ways. Mm. You're, you're, you're kind of out of your own body and you're out of your own mind. And so when we think about how much time we're spending on our phones, like I don't want to make anyone feel guilty. I don't want to make myself feel guilty. Some of these apps mm. that tell you how long you're spending on your phone, I'm like, can you not tell me I could have run a marathon while scrolling tonight, please? Like, it's so <laughs> annoying. But when it comes to kind of creativity and accessing your own wisdom and accessing your own self, our phone is taking that away a little bit. Mm. but not always, because obviously we know that community is amazing on Instagram. We know that we can make friendships online. We know that we can have the career of our dreams from the inter- from the way that we use the internet. So it's like, how do we change it from being active in our use rather than passive? Yeah, and it, and that's the same for, same for all these things that I've just mentioned. Like, are you actively choosing what you want to eat or drink or what music you want to listen mm. to or what time you want to go to bed? I don't think a lot of us are that active with our phones. I think we just consume almost like what is the norm or like what we've been following for the last 10 years. But I think I think unsubscribing and like changing that up every now and again is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I I read an interview with you about Sabotage the Book as well. And you were talking about this whole idea of sometimes we're chasing goals and feeling like we're sabotaging ourselves and sabotaging our own dreams and you said that sometimes you think we do that because the goal that we're chasing we don't actually want it we're only going after it because we think it'll look good to other people and that kind of tying that into social media and thinking like oh well I have to do this thing because other people are doing it or because that'll look good online or look impressive yes and then yeah kind of the idea that that that's why we don't put everything into it so we'll feel guilty for not doing it but you didn't actually want it in the first place I thought that was a really interesting point yes and it's and it's interesting those two things though because they they sit side by side so for example if you are numbing out and like really escaping your life and just like miserable because you yeah didn't get that job that you wanted that, that could be because you really, really wanted it. And that feeling will be like real sort of genuine sort of sadness and disappointment. Whereas if you kind of sabotage the interview because you didn't even want the job anyway, but you just felt like maybe it would please your parents, you'll kind of feel like a relief alongside the numbing mm. out. So they're slightly different. And I think this is why the book and all books and all podcasts, like there's like an element of nuance to every conversation course, because... Yeah we are also living in like a self-help kind of universe of gurus galore who are claiming to have the answer yeah. and I just think we've got to really 
dig quite deep, I think, to kind of be our own, be our own kind of compass. Because especially in like the sort of American culture of, you know, people on stage with a Britney mic, like telling you how to live your life. It's like, yeah, I worry that that's becoming, is going too far. Right. So what's, I mean, what do the good and bad versions of that look like to you then? Because I guess in terms of, I don't know, I've never particularly thought of, you know, self-help and that cultural thing as a very bad thing as in like I think it's great when you know people are reading books that help them understand their own mind a bit better and are trying to sort of maybe figure out and change these behaviors that they think are keeping them down but then equally yeah as soon as you say that and kind of picture the image of I don't know someone like really preaching to people that they've got like the answer and the secret to a happy life what's what's the kind of yeah what's the good medium in that like where do we where should we be learning these kind of things from if not you know from people who tell tell us they've got it all figured out who should we be looking to that's the thing it's like that's why I kind of write about my own anecdotes and kind of my own life and and I feel like hopefully at the beginning at the end I'm always caveating it with like this might have worked for me this might not work for Mm. you and also there is no one size fits all so if you're sabotaging in some way there is something so juicy and interesting to unpick there and you are at the start of a journey of getting to know yourself and like discovering yourself and and like that really excites me but I think it's dangerous to be like well this is this is sabotage for this reason this is the way out and 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 I think that's why the nuance of this book hopefully encourages people to go okay cool thanks so much for all these tools but now I've got to go and work out what's really going on and I'm really I'm a really big fan of um coaching and life coach I've had a life coach for the past two years and I know that term like people roll their eyes at that a little bit but um essentially it's just someone like cheerleading you Mm -hmm. and also helping you unpick all these things so I think a book can really change your life. Don't get me wrong. But I also think that this is like daily work. And, um, and I, and I think I used to get disappointed where I would read a book and be like, right. Okay. Where's my new life. Yeah. And I realized that actually there's like a life lifetime of work to continue doing, but it can be really enjoyable as well. Yeah. I'm interested to know if, you know, during the course of interviewing lots of people and kind of researching for the book, did you end up kind of speaking to anyone or did you find there were people who were like, no, I don't do that. Like I don't sabotage myself. Or do you think it is quite a universal human experience? Like, is it something we all do? It's a good question. I mean, I know plenty of people that really don't. Mm. I know I know so many people who don't overthink <laughs> They don't analyze How? things over <laughs> and over and over again. Like people are just like, yeah, water off a duck's back. Not bothered by that. And I love those people. Like I am surrounded by people like that. Um, but I, do, I also feel like when it comes to creativity and writing, mm. you should always feel like you have something to say if you feel like you do, because you will find your audience, you'll find your community. And like all the people that read my books, they're very, I feel quite similar people, mm. people that kind of want to break through. They want to go through to this next chapter of their life. They want to make things. 
and that excites me so people yeah some people will be like oh god I really don't need this book (laughs) I mean this is the thing and I'm like that is one of the things that I find really fascinating when you look at these kind of social I don't know patterns of behavior I guess and things that a lot of people do because like you say this is what we love this about other humans is finding people who feel the same way that we do and that kind of sense of camaraderie but I also then find it really interesting to think well like why is that and why have why have we for example you know found ourselves in this camp and I think you said right in in the intro to the book I remember you saying um kind of describing a story and a time when you felt that you were sort of professionally sabotaging yourself kind of kind of through the fear of of not achieving a dream and I think it was writing your uh, novel you were talking about but you said in there that when you when you were having these feelings you felt like you did as a young child when you I can't, what was the example you said I think it was something about you know not being picked for a sports team or that thing that feeling of kind of failure and like you weren't good enough and kind of remembering that from childhood do you think that's yes. a big way that it plays into it and is it you know is it just people who've had different childhoods maybe have not have have grown up in a different way yeah I mean I find that the main message of the book really is is that there are so many layers to this and each one of us is so different like you were saying because I I always think of it as sort of your life is like almost like a crime scene and you need to almost find the root of the crime like what yeah where did it happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) what happened and and like how do we go about solving it and um and, you know, Martha Beck, who's one of my my favourite kind of psycho, actually she's like a sociologist, she always says that there's one thought normally that triggers all of the patterns of self-sabotage mm-hmm. and it can be so subtle. So, for example, say mine was comparison and I was walking down the escalator and on a on a advert on the side of the escalator in London, I saw this, the person I compare myself the most on a poster having a great time. I might then go to my meeting, not really think anything of it, then go home and drink like a bottle of wine right. and then have a terrible day the next day and mess up my next meeting. And so I've sa- I've sabotaged my own life because of something that really bothers me. Yeah. And everyone's is different. But now I know what mine is. Mine is related to kind of that sort of childhood thing of like not being picked or being left out or like feeling not good enough yeah. or a variation of that. And so I'm like, oh, there it is. And I know, and I can stop myself mm. and I, and I just, I just do, don't sabotage anymore. And that makes it sound simple too. But once you realize what that thing is that only, you know, you can be like, ah, there it is again. And you can stop yourself in your tracks. How did you figure that out? Like, is that, how do we do that? Is it really a point of sitting down and thinking, you know, when do I start to feel xyz what feeling am I having is that something that you think people can do by themselves or do you need to be kind of coached through that I think having a coach really helps um obviously I you know it's not really something everyone can afford or has access to unfortunately I really wish this stuff was taught in schools to be Mm. honest because the 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 the, you know that time when you realize what's going on you're like oh my god I'm so glad I realized it now because some people realize it way way later in life but it's it is about sort of making note of these feelings so now 
you know, I can actually feel it like in my body. Mm. I'm like, oh, there it is. Like it's very specific. Yeah. And it's like a it's like rises up through me. And I'm like, oh God. Um so it's it, I think that's what I'm really trying to get at as well with the disconnected book is like we're not gonna work out these things if we're on our phones the whole time. Right. And there is yeah. nothing wrong with spending time on our phones. But I think what I'm trying to get at is like if we want to reconnect with like what the hell is going on inside our psyches, mm-hmm. if we want to, um, that that does mean sitting quite uncomfortably. And it's really there's a real discomfort to it. The the when I started to realize like that moment when I was sabotaging, what I wanted to do was not feel it and be like, ah, I don't want to feel this. Yeah. Um, but you kind of you do have to like sit with it. And it's like, um, I don't know, it's like I'm trying to think of an example when you're at the dentist or something mm. and you want it to be over, but you're like, I have to sit and I have to let it happen. Yeah. This is good for me. It's not fun, but it's good for me and it'll be better <laughs> afterwards. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. get that. So all that being said, if you could kind of, if someone is listening to this and relating to it and thinking, I sabotage myself all the time. I talk myself out of doing things, tell myself I can't do things, tell myself it's all going to go wrong. Where could people kind of start with some some tips to kind of start on the journey of stopping sabotaging yourself quite so much? Mm. Well, the first tip would be to take the smallest step possible, like really tiny weeny step, because it is a process and it's not an overnight thing. Nothing is. And so instead of that sort of punishment mentality Mm. of like I did that bad thing again it's the opposite it should be do a tiny thing in the right direction or or in the direction you want to go and celebrate yourself like try and turn that around try and have that voice that's like you did that thing you did it a little bit that's enough for today tick like gold star for you because this is the spiral of self-sabotage it's like the the more kind of you know mean you are the more you'll do it. So it's that's the first step, really, is breaking that cycle. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions, and the first one comes in from Tamara. And she says... How do you distinguish between self-sabotage and choosing not to pursue a seemingly good opportunity because you feel it might not be the right path for you? Well, I mean, the way that question is phrased, I would say that sounds like self-sabotage versus self-care. I think turning Mm. something down you don't want to do is a really brave and act of putting yourself first and sort of prioritizing your, your mental health. So 
yeah, I wouldn't say that's self-sabotage. I guess it's kind of saying, how do you, how do you know whether that's what you're doing? I think mm. is, is probably the like, how do you know whether you are taking care of yourself by not doing something, even if other people think it looks good or if your motivation is actually that you quite would like to do it, but you don't want to mess up, how do you tell the difference between those feelings? Um, well, I would say it's similar to earlier where you will feel different sensations in your body. So if you are saying no to something you really don't want to do, you'll feel relief. You'll feel like, ah, oh, your shoulders mm. will drop. And you're like, yes. <laughs> if you are saying no to something you really want to be doing, you might feel anxious or you might feel disappointed. You might feel a bit sad. You you might feel just like, yeah, like you've kind of gone against your sort of own integrity mm. and something will feel off. That's how I would tell the difference. Real gut feeling situation. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, we're all in our heads so much. And actually there is a lot that, that your physical body will tell you. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. I think taking the time to trust the gut feeling I suppose that's the scary part isn't it yeah I find relief a really useful way of indicating because mm. um if I don't feel the relief I'm like oh maybe I did want to do that then because we all know that feeling don't we of when you get out something you really don't want to do like it feels yeah, like, good <laughs> yeah 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 next question is from Marta and she says I often find myself in situations where I start comparing myself to others very easily. Lately, I've noticed I do it more than ever. For example, I never really had a good relationship with my body and it's got a lot better in the past year. And now I can say that I like my body and I'm okay with it. Now that I'm okay with my body, I've unconsciously started to look for other flaws in myself that other people don't have. It's like I need something to hate about myself. Every time I get past one insecurity, I immediately start to look for another one. Why do I do this and how can I stop the cycle? Wow, that is, um, first of all, very self-aware to even know that that's what's happening. That's actually a really good mm. step to even be like, oh, look, I'm doing this thing where I'm transferring one thing onto another. So to even notice you're kind of doing that behavior as a cycle is, I think, really interesting. I mean, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I, I really feel like that would be an interesting one to kind of look at in terms of there must be something where you you are feeling less than and it was almost uncomfortable to like yourself. So I would I would yeah. find that quite, you know, um, a good one to dig into with maybe some some professional help or or even just to notice your thoughts a bit more. Like, where are they coming from? Are they coming from you? Are they coming from an old teacher, an old friend that said, you know, it's like digging into where they came from in the first place. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that is, I think it's really interesting, but as you say, it's quite a tricky thing because I think a lot of people do that. Like I can, I can relate to that very heavily. I think I definitely do that about myself. So I guess it's, yeah, trying to dig into the feeling of when you're, looking for you know flaws in yourself whether they're not I mean I'm I'm doing air, air quotes nobody can see them flaws air quotes um and looking for that is it is it always a physical thing have you now transferred it onto your sort of personality traits why do you think you're always looking for something that's wrong is it because you want you're looking at other people or is the judgment based more in something that happened in your past or like, yeah, it's, it's definitely a hard question 
to answer for us, especially not knowing more of someone's background. But I thought it was a really interesting question anyway, mainly because I related to it so much. And I think it is something that a lot of us do. So even if, you know, by answering this question, we can just, you said in your question, you were like, why do I do this? I think a lot of us do this. If that makes you feel any better, Marta, I think it's not, you know, it's not something that you specifically are weird for, or, you know, it's not something that you're doing that's bad. I think a lot of people do it. For sure. Definitely. I mean, it's reminded me of a book that I mentioned in my book, but I really recommend it if you are interested in this topic. And it's called Big Leap. It's by Gay Hendricks, who's an author in America, but it's all about how we all hit a limit sometimes on like our self-worth and our and our ability to like ourselves and we hit that limit and then we try and like come back down again and we all do that in Mm. so many other ways and actually this question has sort of reminded me of um because I'm doing a bit of coaching at the moment one-on-one which is when the real magic happens with things like this um where someone would just have friends that weren't very nice to, to her and and that was her thing it was like I keep I keep like just having friends around me that aren't very nice to me what's that about and so it comes in all different forms and disguises I think this this way of not really kind of breaking out of these cycles so no I think it's amazing that you asked that question and yeah you're not alone for sure next question from Jimena who asks what are some examples of self-sabotage that you think are normalized but shouldn't be normal Mm, that's a good question well, I think I just touched on it there, actually, with friendships. I think we normalise having that friend who puts you down in a jokey way or, mm. you know, says things like, oh, I'm just brutally honest. That's just me. Yeah. And we've been friends since childhood, so I'm going to tell you what I really think about you. And actually, even though that's sort of someone else sabotaging you a little bit and your confidence, by being actively friends with people that put you down, that's normalised, I think, in our society. It's like, oh, yeah, I've got mm. friends that just put me in my place or whatever. But I don't know. I think friends should lift each other up. So I, I, I find friendship like such an interesting topic, especially after the pandemic and how we are looking at what we want from our friends. Yeah, definitely. OK, last question. Um, and this person didn't leave their name, but said, sometimes we're afraid of the unknown resulting in not taking chances but sometimes taking the chance has such a high risk that the self-sabotage might be a better option my question is where is the line between self-sabotage and the risk being too high hope that makes Mm. sense so I think what I'm taking from that is yeah how do you tell when you are kind of sensibly sensibly sabotaging is that is there such a thing as that because yeah there's a higher risk of failure I don't know I guess I guess more of the idea of if you think there's a goal that you're going to and it's not likely to happen should you go for it anyway or is that still sabotage if you don't (laughs) it's a really good question I think again it's kind of back to feeling like how what's the intention how do you feel and does it feel positive does it feel negative does it feel good inside or does it feel do you feel really on edge and actually the worst thing to do right now would be taking a massive life change because actually maybe you want to you you want to actually spend some time sort of rooting yourself getting yourself back to like a mental health state that you feel secure in do you know what I mean I think it depends Mm. where you are in your life 
But I think, you know, it's interesting because we can make, we can justify whatever we want to justify. That's what's funny about the human mind is like, you can, you can justify absolutely anything. You're like, I'm doing this because of this or this or this. But Mm -hmm. it's like, I think I use this example in the book of say you don't go on a date because you're worried that you might fall in love (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. you will be heartbroken. And then you might be in bed for years because, you know, you might break up. You, you're kind of sabotaging yourself by not going and taking that big risk because yeah. you're staying small and you're st- staying mm-hmm. hidden. And I think this is the clue, I think, is if you're hiding, I think that's an element of sabotage. Whereas if you're just turning something down because you're like, that's not the right time in my life, that's empowering. And so it's sort of, it really depends where you are in your life, why you're doing it. You know, if tomorrow I quit my job because I'd fallen out with someone and I just quit my job, that'd be sabotaging mm. myself because why, why did I just quit? Like it was fine. But if you quit your job and you have all these things lined up and you know it's right deep down and you know that it's like something that you are willing to risk, that feels different. Yeah, definitely. Do you think if, if the if the thing is that you are shooting for a really high goal whether it seems kind of likely or unlikely or whatever else what is the point where it kind of becomes self-sabotage to keep going for it that sounds that sounds like a really negative thing but it kind of what you were saying before about the like sunk cost fallacy that's you know quite a quite a well-known idea did you come across much of that in your research as well the kind of thing where it turns into where pursuing something is actually becomes sabotaging your life even if it's not sabotaging that particular goal yes 100 percent. and I'm actually really interested in the weird cultural idea that like you should never quit you should never quit anything and like you're weak if you quit mm. that I grew up with that mentality of do, do not give up and I'm looking around at lots of very amb- ambitious people that I know who are who are done they're like I'm I'm just I don't want to do this anymore and I find quitting. Mm so incredible and inspiring when someone truly wants to quit it's like you basically have chosen yourself and you've chosen your own self-care and your own um health and I just think that's really brilliant and so you know quitting (laughs) when you truly want to is amazing if you quit because you are making up all these excuses why you can't do it but you know you can you know you want to that that is sabotage but but quitting I think good for you if you want to if you want to know about opportunities to send in questions for upcoming guests then follow us on instagram or twitter at good gs and you can email the podcast at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com before you go i've got three things i ask every guest and that's if listeners want to find out more about what we've been talking about today could you please recommend us something to read something to listen to and something to watch yes so on the topic of what we were discussing today something to listen to I absolutely love the one you feed podcast it's with a guy called Eric Zimmer who was a heroin addict in his 20s and he really overcame some major challenges and he's just like a very inspiring person talking about sort of addiction and, and um, well-being and all that stuff he's amazing and there's a particular episode actually that if you lo- if you like this topic um, it's called it's with a guy called Dr. Aziz Gazipura, and he's the author of a book called On My Own Side, which is all about self-sabotage. It's all about mm. inner critic stuff. It's a really big book. 
but I really recommend listening to the audio version if you um if if you really want to dive in because it is long. Um, something to watch. I was thinking earlier about people who overcome obstacles in all kind of areas, and I don't know if you watched that Netflix documentary with Lady Gaga. I think it's called no, Five I didn't Foot actually. Two. But she has a lot of health conditions that I don't think people really know about. Mm. And I just find her amazing. Like she overcomes so many obstacles in her own way. And so if you want something kind of not necessarily related to what we were talking about, but someone really just sort of overcoming their own demons. I just yeah. I thought it was an incredible watch. It's amazing. Oh, I love that. And then something to read. Um so there's a book and it's not actually out till January. So I just wanted to flag it really. Okay. Um, and also this person in general to follow. So Natalie Liu, she is a boundaries coach. She talks a lot about, you know, saying no, taking back control, prioritizing yourself. A lot of the things we talk about in this episode. And she has a book coming out in January 2023 called The Joy of Saying No. Um, but in the meantime, I really recommend following her Instagram and her website and things because she's really helped me get back some space in my life amazing and of course if you have enjoyed listening to emma talk about sabotage and like i said there are a lot of tips and yeah really like nice thought journeys in emma's book called sabotage which we will link to in the show notes also thank you as always for listening and thank you so much to emma for joining me if you enjoyed the episode i'd love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using to listen and if you've got an extra minute you can leave a rating and a review as well your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast see you next week ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.